It's ball talk. It's ball talk, baby. 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 Baby, baby, baby. It is currently Monday, November 22nd at 4:57 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. I'm your host, John Sock, and as always, I'm joined by my main man, Chaz Jurgens. Chaz, how are you doing today? You know who it is. It's another another good day here in Montreal. A nice little lazy Monday for me. So getting excited, getting a good start to the week. It's always a nice time to be able to take a little rest before the, the rest of the week gets going. And then going down to the States later, see some family. Thanksgiving's coming up. You know, it's, a, it's exciting times all over. Definitely. And I can't wait to go back up home to Canada for my own Thanksgiving little break. <laughs> Um, but I want to get moving because we have so much to talk about today. It's going to be a jam-packed episode, trying to get it to you in under an hour. Mm-hmm. Uh, we're going to talk about Luke Walton getting fired, uh, Puke Gate, uh, the Lakers-Pistons brawl, Cavs losing Sexton and Mobley, and a ton of other players, uh, and now losing some games too. And then we're going to pivot over to uh, I Was on the Road, and we're going to talk a little bit about that too. Mm-hmm. So uh, Lots and lots to get through. Lots to get through. So I think the best place is, you know, the – the newest newest update is the Kings fired Luke Walton. He was the second winningest coach in their history. Mm-hmm. He finished this season with a six and eleven record, and his Kings career with a sixty eight and ninety three record, which is good for a forty two point two percent win percentage. Behind only uh, oh Rick on, Adelman. Rick Adelman. Thank you. I had it written down. I can't find it right now. Uh, the Kings lost seven of the last eight games under Walton. They were not. That's not good. Um, Everyone and their mother has said Luke Walton was on the hot seat. This recent losing streak thing was really it for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, a lot of people were like, oh, you know, you can't expect more than the 10th seed. No, 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 no. They, they were out of the 10th seed. Yeah. The moment they lost that 10th seed, I get it. I, I, I totally get it. Because, you know what, if, he's, if he was meeting the expect, if, if they were the 10th seed and they still fired him, I would not get it. But you heard rumblings. I mean, people were saying, hey, look, they're still the 10th seed. They're still competing. No, no, no. They were falling apart. Seven of eight mm-hmm. losses, lost to the Timberwolves. Losing a bunch of games that they should win, I get it. I get it. I love Luke Walton, but I get it. The team should be solidly the tenth seed, not competing for it, not not hoping for it. They they've been bad for too long. They've had too many years under Luke Walton to not be the tenth seed under him. Their competition has yeah. looked horrible. They haven't had a particularly hard schedule. I love Luke Walton, but I get why he's gone. Yeah, I mean the the Sacramento Kings and Luke Walton have been a match that has uh, has seemed like it was going to be near the end for a while now. And something we always say out here is we, we never really like to call for someone's job. And John is certainly a bigger fan of Luke Walton because of his Laker affiliations than I am. And my Lakers and, jersey of Luke Walton. And I will say, like, again, Luke Walton, a man with a family, people depending on him. Not out here hoping that he is homeless on the streets because of his job as a Sacramento Kings head coach. However, that job seemed like it was should not have been his for much for as long as it was. I'm definitely not surprised to see it. But a, a point that I've heard brought up about this already that I think is a very fair point for this Kings team is, yes, they've fallen out of that 10th seed, but is the 10th seed really the objective for them this year under Luke Walton? And if it's not, if they really thought they were going to get more like, I don't really know what the Kings front office as a, a group thought they were going into the season with Luke Walton expecting so much more different than before. I don't really understand how everything gets thrown onto him as much because at a certain point, if it's only going to take 17 games to fire him, like, you could have done this in the offseason and had a full offseason to go through your candidates and find a new coach and let them implement everything. 
while they're preparing, but now you're bringing in an interim and you're going to spend pretty much an entire season looking for a head coach instead versus having someone and going into the season on a front foot. It just seems like another year down the drain to one more to add on to the no playoff streak at this point for Sacramento. Yeah, I, I get that. I also think that, I think the thing that shocked me is that he didn't just bolt for the Arizona head coaching job the moment that was available. Yeah. Um, especially because his whole staff is Arizona guys, which is, I think mm-hmm. that they knew that he was going to be gone. I think this is a Lloyd Pierce situation. They imagined he wasn't going to make it the whole season. So they said, hey, you're putting this guy on your staff. And then he gets fired and they become the interim. Mm-hmm. Um, they, they put up the smokescreen of, I can't remember the name of the other player, the other coach that they said might get it. I, I think that was smokescreen. I think everyone knew it was going to be Gentry from the moment it happened. I mean, Doug Christie, uh, the King's legend, I think is why. Yeah, that's who it was. Thank you. Uh, Bill Simmons had a really good tweet that I think kind of encapsulates a lot of the issues. It was, I'm going to read it verbatim. Mm-hmm. Last four years, Sacramento took Bagley over Luka, spent lottery picks on three-point guards, froze on trading Barnes when he had legit trade value, spent actual money on trade Tristan Thompson, gave Bogdanovich away for nothing, but hey, let's change coaches again. An ongoing ownership catastrophe. I think it's very harsh, but I think it's very real and gets on a lot of the points that you said. This yeah. team doesn't like this team's goal is the 10th seed. And Which I think is... that they needed to hit it because they've had so many years of Luke Walton not winning them anything. And I think at a certain point you can't just tank forever. Mm-hmm. Especially when I mean Look, I like Davion Mitchell, but Moses Moody was right there. Yeah. Moses Moody was right there and fit exactly what they needed. Buddy Heald is their best small forward at six foot four, and an absolute zero on the defensive side of the basketball. It, it, it at least bring in Moody for the hope that him and Tyrese Halliburton can grow together. I, I I don't understand why they're holding this. Why they were holding on for an, for Davion Mitchell to come in. I guess he's a win now player almost, but he can't do anything on offense. He's looking like a defensive specialist. It looks like they spent the eighth overall pick on a one-way player on a mm-hmm. team that just needs guys that can play both sides of the ball at this point. They're giving Chimizi Metu serious minutes. And look, Metu's impressing me. But yeah. that doesn't mean that uh, when you're trying to make the playoffs, pulling a guy uh, pulling a guy like that out is not uh, conducive to finding your goal. Mm-hmm. I, I think that Walton wasn't dealt the world's best hand but he didn't get enough out of this hand i think this hand is still yeah. enough to get a 10 seed easily but it does fall back on ownership and i think that vivek Ranadive has been too involved in the past but mm-hmm. i think he did a good job he got rid of divok he brought in monty mcnair i i, I like the idea I, I like what i've heard of mcnair so far um i we i was against the davion mitchell pick i think he's great but i just think that at a certain point you need to consider fit Mm-hmm. When, when you're looking at how does how can I play this guy with the other guys on my team, you need to consider fit or you need to consider that you're going to be moving De'Aaron Fox. Yeah, I don't think that they're considering moving De'Aaron Fox from what I hear, what I've heard. So the pick of Davion Mitchell is still very weird to me. Mm-hmm. All of this is a very long-winded way of saying, look, if Monty McNair is going to come in and make a culture shift, I think that there is a way to make this team work. But I I think there's a lot of stuff we still need to see. I, I think that. Luke Walton just made tons of mis- tons of little missteps that added up. Uh, blowing the Bagley pick, by the way. Yeah. Can we talk about that? I-, I get that he wasn't amazing, but how did he get no burn at the five? Instead, they go get Tristan Thompson. They play Tristan Thompson. They, they finally mm-hmm. have a good backcourt, and they-, they go for it. They draft another guard. 
the whole Bogdanovich situation just giving away an asset when, quite frankly, they just need to. He looks like a, a, con- a contributing player right now in, in Atlanta. He was a contributing player. He got them to the Eastern Conference Finals. Mm-hmm. The asset mismanagement is real, both on the on the ownership and the player on and the coaching side, and it's basically it's inexcusable. And until that gets resolved, until that stops being the way that this Kings franchise operates, I don't see them moving out of that out of that uh, play in range. But I have hopes that um, I have hopes that the new regime will be able to take them to that land. Yeah, I mean, obviously. We always wish the best for these organizations, for the fan bases, for the players, the staffs, everyone. Like, you want to see teams succeed because ultimately that's what you hope and you assume that every front office is is walking into every single day, every single season. Like, hey, we are putting together a team that we think can can win a championship this year. And if it's not this year, it's next year. And if it's not this year, next year, it's probably the year after that because that's pretty much how you would want your organization to operate at any point in time and that's something i think the sacramento kings need to kind of get through their heads or get more people in the building who are about that because it just doesn't seem to be the the method that they've gone about and yeah there's a certain amount of time to retool and reset but you're like sacrificing such a huge fan base to someone and you see sacramento in the early 2000s when they would have battles against the lakers and go on these deep playoff runs like there was one of the most exciting venues to have any type of basketball in especially playoff basketball and you just don't see that at all from sacramento anymore it's just sad to see the situation that's gone on with them and you hope that the new organization could figure it out but it feels like there's a lot of changes that need to go into this and it's the the weirdest part is the longer you look at it the more needs to be changed like the more needs to happen so it's it's wild to see where they're going to start but i guess getting rid of luke walton and bringing in a new head coach is technically a start like so we'll see what alvin gentry can do maybe he can turn this around if he doesn't mm-hmm. you know a lot of prospects coming up i i just you know because i i hope that they can get something rashawn holmes is too nice to just be chilling or the john hollinger had him as an all-star I thought that was hilarious. I think it's a little bit of an over of early, but I do think that Rashawn Holmes is coming out as one of the best centers in the league on this mm-hmm. great contract, and you just can't take advantage of it. Yeah, and I mean, I heard a quote the other day, I think from Luke Walton early in the season, saying something about how like his team is still working on like learning the fundamentals of basketball or something oh, along God. those lines, and it's just like, look, I, I understand. I guess you're trying to say like we need to get back to fundamentals and doing the right, the the small things the right way and building step by step, brick by brick, whatever, whatever. But to come out and say your team needs to learn the fundamentals of basketball when you have guys like Harrison Barnes who's been on championship teams, played for Team USA. You have guys like Rashawn Holmes, Tristan Thompson, another NBA champion. Like this isn't the youngest team in the league by any stretch of the imagination. De'Aaron Fox is supposed to be your star player, is already on his extension and. You, you can't be thinking that you, you still need to teach the basics of basketball. And we, you mentioned puke gate. I, another point that I heard brought up about that was like the 15, 20 minutes while these, these guys are cleaning up this whole area and the game is paused. Quinn Schneider is there with the Jazz. Like they're talking, they're discussing, the clipboards are out, the whiteboards are out, the iPods are around. Luke Wallens are sitting with his coaching staff on the sideline and everyone's just kind of chilling around the bench area. Like there's, there's things that just need to be different about how these Kings organization operates and hopefully Alvin Gentry or, or something in the front office can change because there needs to be things that just are adjusted so that this team could be talented because they are good like there's no reason that they shouldn't be competing for a play-in seed and for some reason they find a way to blow games and never win 
guy like Bogdanovich, who they like get away for nothing, was hitting game winners for them when he was on their team. So it's just a whole whole string of messes that hopefully the Kings just start cleaning these up and working toward becoming a, a playoff bound team for the I first like your, time in is what's going to be like 15, 20 seasons. I like your I like your uh, clean up the mess cute pun. <laughs> very 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 love that. Speaking of cleaning up the mess, they had to clean blood off the court in Detroit. Yeah. Uh, LeBron James and Isaiah Stewart got into more than a little scuffle yesterday. Both of them were ejected and didn't speak to the media afterwards. Stewart looked ready to murder LeBron after that was that was insanity. <laughs> that dude, that dude went full like I'm going to destroy you. I'm gonna fight you. I'm gonna kick. I'm gonna end your life. I'm gonna. It was terrifying watching the videos. Yeah. The way that man ran, he mm-hmm. had no worries. He was about to end his entire NBA career right there on the floor, just to get led LeBron. I mean, I, the blood definitely made it a lot worse than it was. And then I definitely heard a lot of people making jokes about Isaiah Stewart picking up a, a lot of yards after contact on the, on the court over there. Like, you know, that's amazing. there should be, should be some running backs in Detroit. You know, DeAndre Swift is doing a good job for them, Jamal Williams too. But if they need to, they need a big power back, it looks like B. Stu might be able to, to break a couple tackles and, and fight for some extra yardage. But, yeah, that was a, a wild scene over there in Detroit. With the suspension he's getting, maybe with the suspension he's getting, maybe he can play in that uh, Thanksgiving day, day game against Chicago. Oh help, yeah, help get Matt Nagy fired. <laughs> Anything to get Nagy out of there. <laughs> um, wait, did you see Gilbert Arenas' Instagram post? Man, I saw it. I I wasn't able to read through all of it because oh. of the, the amount of emojis and everything that was oh, in there. I just, I'm reading it all. I, it looked I like it a Cam Newton down. post at a certain point. I just like, is this even English? Like. <laughs> It, there's something about that generation, uh, just a little bit older than us, that they just love emojis so much. I love it. It's yeah. it's, it's so funny. Uh, they're either all about it or they don't use them at all. And mm-hmm. hold on, I'm gonna read this out to the listeners because I'm pretty sure he deleted it. Oh, I mean, then the NBA probably told him too. Yeah, it doesn't. Yeah. He tweets out, "Hey brother, I'm gonna just be real with you with you here." A screaming emoji, I guess that is. I don't know. Yeah, we're not going to tell you every emoji that's in here. Pack all shit, all caps. Pack your winter jackets and boots because yo ass is about to be traded to Budapest. He added Budapest, I think, somewhere. Laughing yeah. face emojis. I don't know what type of bumbaclot blood got in your, your eye, but you can't charge at the hashtag king like that on TV. 100 emoji. You'll be drug tested. Hashtag TI voice. Expeditiously. Uh, another laughing, crying emoji. But this is why the sideways one. Just to make sure that that rage ain't drug related. We don't do that in the NBA. You probably haven't read the memo on fight attempts in the NBA. Number one, don't square up with that King James at Easy Money Sniper ever. A hundred emoji. Number two, them two light skinned boys at Stephen Curry at Clay Thompson on GS. Don't let your chest get puffy towards them, or your ass is done. Halo, halo, uh, smiley emoji. Number three, only two teams that's allowed to fist fight without any real penalties, is wherever at Rajon Rondo and at CP3 at, laughing emoji. Number four, wait till your teammates get around you and then act tough for the crowd. Sell it like the WWE, uh, the OK and the prayers emoji. Um, that's it. Good luck moving forward, my man. I think that's a smiley face, like be peaceful face. P.S. This was worse than the gun in the locker room situation, laughing face. Some can say this was hashtag attempted murder. Halo face, uh, smiley with the teeth face. Only thing that can save you right now is MJ dropping episode 11 of The Last Dance, and he edits all Scotty Pippen's <laughs> scenes out. 
Or Vanessa Bryant dropping hashtag the Mamba last season, 100 prayer halo. If you think I'm bullshitting, ask at Ennis Kanner. He got too close to the king back in 2016-17, and the Turkish president been trying to catch his ass ever since. Running emoji, thinking emoji, smiling emoji, halo emoji. Just, wow. Yeah. You're a comedy gold, and he added almost all of those people. He tagged almost all of those people. Mm-hmm. Uh, what? Gilbert, Gilbert Arenas is goaded. Uh, the Ennis Cantor comment might have been a little too far. Um, I do not no, think that this no is worse than bringing a, a gun. <laughs> I do not think this is worse than bringing a gun into the locker room, Gil. Sorry to say it, but wow. I mean, no chill Gil is real. He's out here. That's, um, I mean, he's talking from a place of experience. I'll tell you that much. He's If anyone knows what the NBA's policies are regarding uh altercations or, or acts involving your teammates or a violence and Gilbertinas will would be one of the leading authorities on the planet earth about that one so I wouldn't be be too shocked about this but yeah this is this is crazy I this is one of the the only things I do like about social media is watching people just go off like this because this is one of the funnier things that probably we will see all Ever. time <laughs> Ever. uh yeah I want to okay wait do we want to I don't want to start speculating on suspensions and all that. I imagine there will be some. I haven't yeah. heard yet. Have you heard yet? I have not heard yet. I assume LeBron's getting one or two games, and Isaiah Stewart's probably getting like 10 to 15. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, and he's going to complain about that, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, Appeal it, young fella. <laughs> apparently, LeBron James tried really hard to locate Isaiah Stewart's number and apologize to him, and he couldn't. I can't feel like I, – I can't believe that it's that hard to get Isaiah Stewart's number. Especially you know, if you're LeBron. Especially if you're LeBron. <laughs> I feel like you could even just, like, ask someone to go speak to him. Like, you're LeBron James. Like, just, just ask him like... to go walk over to the locker room or walk over to the security guard to walk over to the locker room, whatever it, you know. Mm-hmm. I, so I don't know that I buy that. But, you know, hey, good for him that he, uh, I guess, technically it's a public apology, I guess. Technically. Yeah, I, I think almost. that might be one of those uh... – LeBron's a billion-dollar enterprise, so we're going to say that we tried to apologize here. But uh, I don't really necessarily think that LeBron went out of his way to tell him I'm sorry. He may have yelled it in the tunnel. May have just been like, yo, tell tell the young fella that was my bad. You know, but, like, I don't I don't think LeBron was out here like, can you get Beastu's number? You? No, AD, you don't got it? No, Nobody's got Jeremy Grant's number. He just played Team USA. Like, let me just call it. No, nobody. <laughs> Like, come on, there's got to be someone on that team that's, like, signed to Clutch that they could have uh, worked through. Yeah, like, it's... <laughs> Rich Hilarious. Paul, like, you can't get me this number in about 0. .4 seconds like you normally can. Like, <laughs> Yeah, come on. Um, I got to watch the Celtics and the Lakers live on Friday. Mm. Not to pivot too fast, but it was not pretty. This Lakers team is just not pretty. <laughs> and it was pretty shocking to see. It's not all on the role players. I'm not going to sit here and say that, but mm-hmm. uh, a lot of it is. Yeah. Look, LeBron didn't drive once, which is really not good. Uh, I think this is the third time I've gotten to see Westbrook play live. Uh, he was injured mm-hmm. in one of them, actually, so like two and change. It is shocking how less athletic he, he looks now. Uh, the Lakers role players just flat out stink. It was shocking to see this team play live as badly as they did. Russ looks the least athletic he ever has. Malik Monk looks like a young Wayne Ellington, and Wayne Ellington is a minimum player who looks like Wayne Ellington. Rondo <laughs> high-key looked all right, and is still a mastermind passer, but he's just not able to play enough minutes. He can't defend that well. Everyone's injured. Taylor Horton Tucker is, is you know doing his thing, but he's not amazing yet. 
Mm-hmm. I this, this team is just – I don't know why they didn't go after certain players in the offseason I had them pegged for once they moved on from Marc Gasol. Um, mm-hmm. Mainly Isaiah Hartenstein, who's been killing it for the Clippers. I kind of felt like he would be a good fit. And like at this point, James Ennis would have been good. I don't – Kent Bazemore could have been <laughs> useful. I, I, I don't – Wayne Ellington was not a signing I was on board with the moment Malik Monk signed on. He was fine when there was no other shooting, but I, I just shocked with some of this stuff. Mm-hmm. This Lakers team is. I, some people are saying this Lakers team is going to do the same red October that, uh, or red, uh, I guess it'd be February that uh, the 2018 Cavs did, where they traded Derrick Rose <laughs> and Dwayne Wade and Jay Crowder and everybody. Yeah. But who can they trade? Like, who, how can they, unless they're trading the rest of their first round picks and Westbrook for mm-hmm. like Ben Simmons and then picking up another contract in the trade exception and then sending Malik Monk somewhere where he can have value and maybe Kendrick Nunn goes somewhere and Taylor Horton Dark. They have like they have four players that are actually tradable and one of them needs to have picks attached to trade them in Westbrook. Mm-hmm. I I don't know what this team does at this point. I'm I I have been trying my best not to be out on this Lakers team, but we're almost 20 games into the season and they don't look healthy. They don't yeah. look like they will be healthy. They they're full of old guys. Mm-hmm. I I don't they don't have the kind of they don't have another scorer or ball handler that can just take it and run an offense. They don't look organized in their offense the same way that other teams do. I'm just I, I, I am very it took a long time, but I think I finally have to say that I'm out on this Lakers team until we see something click for them. Which could happen, by the way. Anthony Davis looks like a monster. Anyone yeah. who's anyone who's complaining about Anthony Davis isn't watching. Mm-hmm. But. I mean anyone anyone and everyone who who's watched the NBA for the last fifteen years will tell you, should tell you, that any team with LeBron James on it should be able to figure themselves out by the time the playoffs roll around. So you can't be too worried, but there's definitely some some warning signs from this Lakers team, some some looks of like, okay, so hopefully there'll be some other minimum players available at free agency to go trade for because, like John mentioned, not a lot of maneuverability on this team and definitely a lot of changes that need to be done, you would think, if they're going to go on a playoff run given what a lot of the other teams look like right now. I, I'm i sure that the noise is going to get increasingly loud about the Russell Westbrook deal because of all the other rumors that have come out about what was potentially on the table. Like, originally there was the talk of, well, you know, you could have had Buddy Heald and could have had a couple other shooters and made some other things happen, still had some money. And now there's talk of, well, like, if they'd gone out and gone Kyle Lowry, then DeMar DeRozan probably would have taken a cut to come to the team. And you see what DeRozan's doing with the Bulls right now and just think about having him and Kyle Lowry on the Lakers with LeBron and AD would be a whole different level of super team right now. So, yeah, it's it's getting hot in the kitchen for the Lakers right now. And just like you mentioned, especially with all these injuries, it doesn't look like there's anywhere, any light at the end of the tunnel anytime soon. So in a very, very tough Western Conference, it's going to become increasingly difficult to to battle every single night if guys are getting hurt, old guys aren't playing. Like Melo is having one of the best seasons I've seen of his in a long, long time, but he, he cannot play every game and he cannot play 35 minutes every game because by the end of the season, he won't be able to give you the production that he's giving you now. So it's getting it's getting tough for those Lakers. But hey, anytime Anthony Davis and LeBron James are on a team together, I'm 0% worried. <laughs> yeah, um... I don't know. I'm still scared. I'm still scared. Melo does look good, though. You're right. I should have mentioned Melo. He looks amazing. Mm -hmm. Um, You want to move on? I just can't keep talking about this. It's depressing. Yeah, I mean, we can can keep it moving from the 
the eight-seeded Lakers from now. Let's yeah, we'll talk about the Lakers more <laughs> in a few weeks once they once we know what they're looking like. But for now, they just need to get healthy and figure it out. Like maybe Kendrick Nunn will help them a lot, just as another scoring threat. But damn, for, yes, original. they're really injured, but they still shouldn't look this bad. I I don't. You get some leeway for injuries, but this is starting to look like a lot because, quite frankly, like yes, these are their best players, but like you know, Horton Tucker, like LeBron is their best player. He was out for a long time. Horton Mm -hmm. Tucker and Kendrick Nunn are probably their fourth and fifth best players. They were out for a long time. Malik Monk hasn't stepped up the way they hoped. You still need to do more. You still need to do more. And I mean, Cavaliers are are missing Mobley and Sexton, and they still got a better record than LeBron right now. Yeah. They they haven't won since since Mobley's injury. They've but they've also been missing Laurie Markinen, Jared Allen, Chetty Osman, and Kevin Love. They are dealing with injuries. That is an injured and ill team. That that'll solve your front court depth problems right there. Not enough minutes to go around. Guess what? None of your players can play anymore. Nope. We got uh, Ed Davis starting. I didn't even know he was on their team. I missed the signing. I was embarrassed. I still can't figure out when it happened. I it, it just wasn't on spoke track anywhere i could find um blaming them <laughs> not myself haha <laughs> uh the cavaliers lost so hold up they lost against boston where mobley played but he was injured they lost by six he didn't play in a 10 point loss to the nets he didn't play in a 15 point loss to the warriors they have a really tough slate of games coming up against the nets suns magic mavs heat wizards jazz bucks and bulls mm. that's almost four weeks of games it sounds like they're going to be it sounds like they're going to not rush him back. They're going to take their time with getting Mobley back. So I went for the full four-week timeline. After that, they have a nice four-game stretch where T-Wolves, Kings, Heat, Rockets. I, I think that's going to be good because they'll let Mobley come back and get to form, and maybe they can start beating good teams again. But uh, I uh, I think there's a real chance this is where the Cavs start to fall off. Yeah. I mean, Darius Garland has, has had himself a hell of a start to the season along with Ricky Rubio. Especially since Colin Sexton's been gone, they've stepped up a lot, not only as just creation ball handlers, but as scorers and as leaders for their team. But Evan Mobley, I mean, was a lot of people's front runner for rookie of the year. Probably not mine. I still would have picked Scotty Barnes over him at this point. But mm-hmm. Evan Mobley making a great quick case right now. <laughs> Evan Mobley's having himself a a great season so far. So the Cavs are definitely going to miss out on what he was providing for them on both sides of the floor because. He's been he's been getting busy in that mid post, kind of on both areas, you know. Off. I think we lost Chaz. A lot of pick and pops and pick and rolls, and then on the defensive side of the ball, he gets his his arms up in places. He gets them in lanes in front of shots. So he's it's going to be tough for them, especially since they are missing literally all their other front court players as well. Not having Evan Mobley will be even more magnified. Yeah. Um... Yeah, I'm ter- I'm I think this is going to be it for them. I think that they're going to wind up dropping out. Maybe they could still hold the 10th seed. I don't think that the East is going to stay this competitive. Yeah, the East so has been balanced. really competitive. You talked about it right before we got on. The the 13 seed in the East is five and a half game back, games back of first first seed in the uh in the East, but the fifth, fifth seed <laughs> fifth seed in the West is five and a half games back of the first seed in the West. I think that um I think that that's not going to keep up. I think that the East is going to bottom out a little bit. I think a lot of these teams are playing really above their uh, expectations. Mm-hmm. I see some shaking out happening. Maybe not. Maybe they'll still be able to find themselves into the top 10, but I don't I don't know that they will be able to. I think that they could fall out. 
and stay out. Yeah. And I mean, for Colin Sexton, this is he's going into a contract year this year. Like, how much you, of him being out for this entire season you think affects his his price and his desire to stay in Cleveland? Because at this point, if he's going to get a low ball deal anyway, mm-hmm. are they a going to match it or b just tell him, hey, go wherever you want, take whatever you want. We're going to continue building with Garland and Mobley. I I really think that uh, for Sexton, he's either looking at a three-year two-plus-one deal Mm. or just signing the qualifying offer. Mm. Missing this season, his his option is – I should have the Cleveland Cavaliers up right now, but my computer's moving a little slowly. (laughs) His QO is for almost $9 million, $8.5 I I do think he could probably get like a two-year – like maybe like an MLE deal or, or a two year, 23, three year, 10 a year with the last year being a team, a player option, maybe three year, eight a year. I don't know. Mm. I wouldn't be shocked if he takes that player option. I mean the, 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 the QO just because I think that he sees himself as a 20 plus, he knows he sees himself as a 20 plus million a year player. Yeah. Missing this season is probably going to hurt him and how well they played without him being featured in their offense is going to hurt him. But ultimately, and, and the fact that there's just not a lot of money to go around in free agency. No one mm-hmm. is going to be able to pay him that money. There isn't going to be a huge bidding war for him, likely. Maybe there is, maybe there isn't. The only team with uh, – there are some teams with cap space, but we'll see. There aren't a lot of free agents. I'm working on my free agent list right now. That'll be up soon for you guys to check it I, out. I don't know. I'm just thinking because at that point, if he's going to take a, an 8.5, a $9 million QO, like you mentioned, like a full MLE will pretty much be the exact same deal for him and he could go compete on any team, potentially a team that's competing for a championship, could add someone like Colin Sexton as the, the sixth man, like everyone says he's supposed to be, could end up being at a, an extremely dangerous piece and could play himself into a bigger contract after that. Dennis Schroeder style. Dennis a la, a la Denis. A la Denis. <laughs> All right, I think we're good here. Um... Mm-hmm. Well, then, then I'm happy to say I'm thrilled to be joined by the one and only, the senior correspondent, analyst, scout, and the host with the most, Paul Talk Studios' own, at Jay-Z Sock on Twitter, John Sokachevsky has been incredibly busy, not only working on getting the best content out on the Ball Talk platform, of course, but also getting into getting a little deeper into his scouting bag. You're, you're at a prep showcase all weekend now, John? Yes, yes, sir. I, that was a great introduction midway through the episode. Thank you. I loved it. I uh, feel completely honored and flustered, even though I talk to you every day and I'm speaking to you for almost an hour now, including the before we start. Mm-hmm. Um, but yes, I was down at the National Prep Showcase at Alberta's Magnus College, ran mm-hmm. by New England Recruiting Report and Adam Finkelstein. Went off really well without a hitch. The second day dragged a little, I mean, without a hitch. Some teams had to cancel because of uh, illness, which is sad, so we didn't get to watch as many games as I'd hoped. I was mm. hoping to watch um, the New Hampton team play with our boy Anthony Anthony Maxwell, but yeah. uh, unfortunately they were unable to attend. I have to find my way to their next tournament, hopefully. Mm-hmm. But uh, no, it was a great time. I got to see 10 games of basketball, I think like 15 teams or something like that. I, I, I didn't Shh. count a lot. I, I watched a lot of... I watched a lot of players play. I have, I think, 30-plus pages of notes right now. Just page after page after page after page in my own little code with my own little keys and crosses with my postmortems and my thises and my thats. It's it's a lot. I'm going to try and transfer that all onto a Google Doc soon and then maybe make some scouting reports soon. Who knows? There's a lot to do from this. But, man, I saw some great players. I saw some great teams, and I'm really excited for this prep season. Hopefully, I'll give you a participate in a little more. 
yeah, I mean, you mentioned you have these extensive notes. You got to see a lot of teams, a lot of players. You want to break us, take us through some of the the most impressive prospects you saw during your weekend. All right, so obviously the guys like they, obviously Kyle Filipowski, who's NBA bound, going to Duke was the most impressive. He's yeah. Kyle Filipowski. He's you know has a gold medal. But I don't want to sit here and talk about him because I would literally just have to either nitpick his game, his one game, or I would just have to sit here and say the same thing that everyone else is saying. But his team spectacularly outclassed South Kent, and South Kent did not look bad. Far and away the most impressive player I saw was uh, 2023 Springfield Commonwealth Academy's own Isaiah Miranda. He was listed at seven foot one, And from my angle, from where I was sitting, I was like, I didn't believe it. Mm-hmm. I literally didn't believe it. I, I just did not believe it. And I, I you know, got a little closer. I'm like, oh my goodness, he is seven foot one. This dude is massive. This dude is at least seven feet tall. He shoots threes like it's nothing. Pull-ups, step-backs, whatever. He shoots it. He knows how to get on balance, put it up high release point over defenders. Very fluid with it. it. He's just, he's talented on that shot. And he dribbles too. He was getting to the rim. He was doing everything. Just insane coordination. Really strong and smart in the post. Was bullying IMG's post players. Just getting whatever he wanted whenever he had guys on him. Taking advantage of, uh, against smaller defenders. He just bull- He was just bullying. On mm. defense, he was really... F- I thought he was fine. Uh, he needs to learn more off-ball stuff. More more positioning as a help defender. Now, he wasn't spectacular, but he was, he was good. And he's going to be a big difference maker. And that defense is going to be the big difference maker for his ceiling. Uh, quite frankly, I was watching him and I felt like I was watching an NBA player. When I watched Filipowski... I, I, w- I was like, this is what I felt like when I was watching Miranda. Like, they were just, they did not look much worse, and Miranda was playing much, much better competition than Filipowski was. And I mean, to have that type of size and skill set and going into the 2023 class, it's just a lot of room for, for the sky's the limit, sounds like. And he really is someone that I could just see in the NBA. Like, he's only rated number 32 right now on 24-7. I don't see how this kid does isn't a five-star by next fall. Like something needs to go wrong for this kid to not be a five star. There needs to be something behind the doors, closed doors that I didn't hear about. I didn't hear it. You know, I was sitting there talking with people. I didn't hear anything bad about this kid. Just incredible, absolutely incredible. I don't. I. I. I felt like I was watching an NBA player. I. St- I I'll say it proudly, and I hope that I do get to see him in the NBA because that kid. That kid can play. That mm. kid can flat out play. His floor is just being a seven foot shooter with long arms to help to play weak side help. His ceiling is he looks like he could be a Jaron Jackson type even. The kid can play. And another guy, I mentioned I mentioned Filipowski in his competition. Uh, from uh, South Kent, also a 2023 kid, Papa Conte. He was impressive. He had some serious coaches talking about talking about him. Um, power 5 coaches were just saying, I heard Papa, Papa, Papa from all kinds. Whenever I walked by a Power 5 coach, when I was talking to some of the Power 5 coaches, Papa Conte, mm. Papa Conte, Papa Conte. This kid can play. <laughs> Six foot ten, solid build, really strong. You don't realize when he, he was matching up against Phil, the Filipowski brothers. One of them is seven feet tall. The uh, yeah. old, the uh, the taller one. The one that plays center is seven feet tall. That's who Con- Papa Conte was primarily guarding. So you didn't realize just how big and heavy this kid was, but he looked solid when you realize how big how big the Philip uh, Matt Filipowski is. Mm. Massive wingspan. He's from Dakar, Senegal. Uh, really strong, really coordinated. Uh, defensively, he walled up great. Just really good on defense. Not fouling, getting to the right spot, helping. 
locking up both Filipowski brothers. When he was put on either of them. Uh, he slid his feet well enough to not just get blown by every time he was on the perimeter, which was good. Real potential as a rim protector. Some good finishes around the rim, too. Uh, he shot a bunch. I don't think he's going to be a shooter, but his form didn't look broken, so who knows where that's going to go. Maybe he's a Clint mm -hmm. Capella type, but I, I didn't see him as the same vertical athlete as Capella, but also that could just be like maturity and the really, really condensed floor of high school basketball. There's uh three there's two more names that I really just want to want to go and actually like talk about for real like in that mm -hmm. I need to like say more than just a sentence on and then there's a bunch of guys that I just want to run through quickly. All right, let's hear it. The next name is from St. Thomas More. This is the first game I saw. I showed up. I saw the end of um I saw the end of one game and I saw these guys warming up and there was a Japanese kid on St. Thomas More named Taku Youngblood, class of 2022. Besides having the greatest name in the history of the world, he was yeah. fantastic. Just a fantastic player. Only six foot one, incredibly long arms, incredible basketball IQ, incredible shooter. He hit shots contested off the catch and shoot, uh, off the dribble, uh, at the rim. His passing was real and elite, finding back cutters everywhere he could. He wasn't hogging the ball. He was getting to the open shooters, open cutters. He he found back cuts. He would hit sometimes hit back cuts that his teammates weren't ready for because they didn't think he'd be able to get them the ball where they were open and he, he had a teammate I, I didn't write down his name division one player missed back cut passes from this kid because he wasn't ready for them mm. insane vision the defense was awesome too he locked up whoever he was guarding uh they were playing Montverde and in the first half I need I need to stop saying Montverde instead of Verde it's just it's better Verde <laughs> but in the first half he guarded TJ Wainwright from Montverde on Friday, this kid was the was the star of the show. He yeah. didn't get a bucket in the first half. He didn't do anything. He did a little bit here and there. He didn't do anything. Second half. Uh, the second half they took they took Youngblood off of Wainwright, put him on six five DJ Richards, who had just killed St. Thomas More in that first half. Again, locked up. Just locked this kid up. No points in the second half. Maybe like a shot or two. Nothing serious. Went from dominating the first half to completely shut down. This kid needs to go to a high major program. He can just flat out play. Like I will write the scouting report on him if I have to. I will sit there and send it around. This kid needs to go to a division to a high division one program with sets where he knows where everyone is and where everyone's ready for him to throw these passes. Because he's just he's just too too good to not be at that level. He flat out impressed me. The last name that I really want to sit on here for a while was DJ Jackson from Montverde. He was amazing. He's from Ontario, Canada. He just plays like such a Canadian style of basketball. It was so awesome to watch. Uh, senior might be a post grad. Not really sure. He's he's just up in you for the full forty. He's knocking balls loose from drivers. He's he's knocking balls loose if you're holding it. He's slowing down your best players. He's getting offensive rebounds. He's yoinking. He's yoinking. Re if you get a rebound and you don't hold it tight, he's taking it. He's gonna rip it right out of your hands. <laughs> If you're not holding the ball tight enough, he's going to rip it right out of your hands. He missed a few shots off the dribble, but he also hit a few. That was night. He's flat out jacked. He was finishing at the rim really well. He was really tough at the rim. Uh, oh, rebounds over bigger defenders, finishing over them afterwards. Just a leader on defense, so loud. Even in the pregame, the first thing I wrote down was number zero is loud. Like They were doing pregame defensive warm-up drills. And I was like, number zero is so loud. You can hear him over everyone else in the gym. And then, of course, he's the Canadian kid. I'm like, this is yeah. this is so classic Canada. And it's lazy to compare him to Lou Dort, but that's what I'm doing. He's obviously not as big as Dort, 
But if he goes to a mid-major, he's going to ruin some teams' march as early as he's given a chance. Mm. I mean, there's nothing nothing more Canadian than just a loud, hard-body defender at this point. Like, this it, is just what we breed out here. It's Maybe it's something about growing up in the cold and the snow where you just you don't feel any pain. You're just there like, I'm going to kill you for 40 minutes a night, and you will get more tired than me, and I will win this game. Yeah, and that, that's just what he did. And I, I, they won. He had, a, I believe it was a game-saving... Either a game-saving steal or a game-saving floater. Uh, mm. I have the notes right here. But he was just a huge part of their ability to win that game. Um, oh, man. I can't. Okay, I can't find it. I cannot find those notes right now. And that's fine. And especially being loud at the beginning of a game. Like, that's something that, that, was, that was something that really impressed me. And he wound up making mm -hmm. Finkelstein's all-tournament, all-Saturday all team. Adam Finkelstein posts the best performers every day. So he made, he made the Saturday performance. And I was really happy because I didn't, I didn't, maybe he did put up really good counting stats and I just didn't notice because I was just so impressed by what he was doing on the defensive end and on the glass. Mm -hmm. But he, 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 he was so impressive to me. They won 91 to 82 and, oh, he did put up points. He put up 25 and I didn't even notice because I was so enamored by how tough he was on the inside. He missed three shots. One was a three, two were pull up mid rangers, put everything else in the, everything else in the net. Mm. I mean, uh, that's a quick, very good game. <laughs> just some quick guys, quick names I want to I want to mention before we talk about some impressive teams. Uh, mm -hmm. RJ Lewis, class of 2022 from Mount Zion Prep, was a super athlete who hit some shots. He got in passing lanes on defense. He got a lot of bigger Division One attention, and I can tell why. Uh, that's what the talk on Twitter was. I, I thought it was. I thought he was good. I thought that uh, Zion Prep was his team. Apparently, it wasn't, <laughs> but it looked like it. He made it his team. He was amazing. Uh, AJ Store from IMG Academy looked amazing. He was hitting shots, driving to the rim like a psycho. He's going to need a lot more to his game to make the jump to the NBA, but he was the best player on IMG between both of their games and looks like he's going to do a great job at the college level. Mm. Uh, Justin Fernandez was the best player on IMG their second game against uh, Springfield uh, Commonwealth. His first game, he essentially only shot threes. Uh, in this game, he did a lot more on offense, kept getting caught guarding Isaiah Miranda under the net because no one else could do anything to stop him. So why not Justin? He did. About as good a job as you could expect. He's just a lot to his game. Off the dribble, off the bat, like shoot, hits off the dribble, drives to the paint, hits free throws. Uh, I'm excited to see what he does at George Mason. The kid can play. Mm -hmm. Adrian Myers at Massanutten. He's someone who's not on any radars. He was really impressive, I found. He has great size. He made some really smart passes. He drove the ball really well. He played hard defense. He hit three really clutch threes to make their game at Cushing's an actual game. By the way, Cushing's should have won that game by 40, and they only won by four in because of an, a Myers fueled run to make it to make it tight mm. they fell apart coaching fell apart in the second half trying to maintain a 20 point lead because Myers closed it with some th with three huge threes and lots of tough transition plays by Mass and Nutton and look, he, he might be class of 23 and 23 also the internet isn't decided he might just be a senior who still has a postgrad year I'm a little confused uh, through the googling not a known player but he was really really impressive to me I think he could contribute to a division one program he showed a little attitude uh, had the, the ref had to tell him to calm down. But uh, when you spark a 20-point comeback against one of the best teams in prep basketball, I think you earn the right to have a little attitude. you remember anything about like his size measurements, guard, forward, wing? He was 6'7". He was a wing. He was hitting corner threes. He was hitting – he was driving really well. He just pro mm -hmm. prototypes to me as a pretty like typical small forward who's going to show up, play really tough, get the job done. Mm -hmm. I, I don't I, – I do think that he is better than a Division three player. I think he's a Division one player – 
maybe not a starting Division One player like day one, but I think he's someone who, if the head, if his head is right, if he knows how to work, I don't obviously know anything about him as a person. I am new to following prep school hoops this uh, this in deep, and there was no season last year to follow. But from what I saw saw yesterday, he's someone that I would keep an eye on if I was is if I am looking for the last uh, scholarship spot on my squad as a Division One team. Mm-hmm. Another another player, uh, Jeremiah Dorsey, class of twenty twenty three point guard from New York, playing at Wilbraham and Monson. Little guard, but uh, he played big as heck. He got offensive rebound, ruined players on defense. Played way bigger than his size. Hit threes. Just an awesome player to watch. Uh, Jacob Theodosio was one of the youngest players in the tournament to have a significant role. Chaz, I feel like you recognize the name. Yeah. I mean, I think I've heard it before, but I don't know why. Team Canada, I believe U16, might have been U18. He plays for Western Reserve Academy, just very steady guard. He keeps his emotion in check. He handles the ball well, does all the right things on the court, knows how to be a teammate, obviously. Knows how Mm -hmm. to contribute, knows how to play within his role without getting crazy. Knows how how to get his job done as a sophomore. It was really impressive to see just from such a young player to get it done. Um, obviously mm-hmm. plays on team Canada. So that gives him a big boost in terms of uh, exposure. Uh, more guys, Keenan Emmanuel from T- Toronto. He's a sophomore from Woodstock Academy. He played really confidently, even if he didn't play perfect. Trey Autry from Western reserve impressed me. He has great size for a wing. Uh, Dan Bissell from Worcester was the best shooter of the day. He had seven threes against Blair Academy. Uh, he was a big big story. He's probably going to get some big Division One looks from that. I think he had 30 points. It was Sheesh. awesome. in an absolute duel against Ote Owe from Blair Academy, who's committed to Oklahoma. And I could tell you just – I could tell you why. I could tell why he's committed to Oklahoma. He's just a massive guard. He can shoot. He can get to the rim. Abused high school defenses. Mm. He's going to be so tough in, in college. I'm very excited to see what he can do. Uh, Jonathan Perez from Springfield Commonwealth. Great solid guard. Great to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, I didn't get to watch Friday or Saturday morning games, so this is by no means a comprehensive list, and I didn't even list everyone that I was impressed with, or we'd be here for hours and hours on end. Uh, we need yeah. to get it moving. So, I mean, yeah. there's definitely a lot of talent, a lot of prospects that are worth looking at. Now, I think we pivot a little bit more to to maybe what some more of the the coaches and the units looked like. Some of the most impressive teams, let's say, like outside of whenever I think of the prep school, like outside of the top three being. IMG, Montverde, and, and Sunrise. What were the teams that you were most impressed with at this tournament? Sunrise actually did. Uh, Sunrise was a uh, Sunrise was okay. Sunrise, I didn't. <laughs> I didn't. Uh, I probably should have written something about Sunrise. I have notes on them somewhere. They had one guy. They had one kid who I who I liked. I'll have to get that out. But uh, most impressive teams to me were by, by far Northfield, Mount Hermon, and it wasn't particularly close. That team is just like really good. They got five really good players in their starting five. Uh, their bench players know their role. They were missing one of their starting five, and they put in a bench player, and he just did his job to a T. Their mm-hmm. coach, John Carroll, does a great job over there. Uh, Rowan Brumbaugh, he's a top 100 player, just dominates the game, moves like an NBA player, which is a really big deal for me. If a player moves mm-hmm. like an NBA player, I get it. He didn't shoot particularly well, but he rebounded well. He passed incredibly well. He got to the rim well. He couldn't get a whistle for some reason. I think he really, literally, literally, they would have blown out both teams by 40 if he'd get, gotten the whistles at the rim that I thought he was going to get, and he just didn't. Mm. Um, with that said, he did a lot of driving. You can't give him every whistle, da-da-da-da-da. Um, <clears throat> maybe he's got a history of talking to the refs. Maybe. He also has a frat mohawk, which I love. Ooh. Big, big supporter. He's committed to Northwestern alongside teammate and Montreal native Luke Hunger. Mm-hmm. Hunger had a 2020 oh. game against IMG and was just such a force inside. I'm writing an article on him right now. He's just such a presence 
good enough defensively. You can't just run him off the court because he's at, he's athletic enough to keep up with that insane size. You can't really post him up. Ruin ruined IMG with his size against Mount Zion, a much faster team that was okay playing outside. He still put up 13 and 10, hit some threes, shot from outside, drove to the net, just did everything. Mm. And even if you can get him off, they got some backup bigs that are ready to step in. Yeah. Uh, Avery Brown, another guard on this team. I expected a little more from him. Uh, I felt I heard a lot of stuff about him and a lot of people were saying good things about him, but I just felt he was too happy to pass when he really should have just taken the layup or the open shot and got to the rim. But he was good on defense and he was really like a coach on the floor in a lot of ways telling when the backup bigs came on, he was telling them where to set the screens, like where to do what to do, when to do it. It was really impressive. At one point he even called for a screen, didn't use it. I think it was uh, passed to another guy cut and then the other guy used the screen. I was like, this was just brilliant by Avery Brown. Clearly a really <laughs> smart player. And that the, the fluidness of that, uh, the fluidness as an athlete is just incredible. It looks like he might just like literally walk right through someone, just like phase <laughs> shift through them with the ball. He needs to be more aggressive for mm-hmm. me. From what I like for real, he had tons of layup times where he could have attacked that could have taken a layup, gotten contact, got to the line, open threes he passed out of. He, he he just didn't he would make drive to the rim and just dump off to someone who was just not as good as him. Like you're you you are a highly ranked player. Just take the layup. <laughs> uh, yeah. Still, I defenses. He's gonna give defenses fits if they. He's gonna give defenses fits if, if they don't respect him on defense. Considering they have five other four other division one players on their for, on their uh, starting five, mm. he's gonna ruin defenses. I'm excited to see what he does the rest of the season. I didn't get to see Peter Carey. He was injured. He's committed to Syracuse. I imagine he's going to be great. Blair Thompson had a rough day one, but second day he was so impressive. Mm. His athleticism and, and length was out of the, was off the charts. He's committed to Columbia. And he's just finishing everything, hitting shots. Smart player again, getting in passing, getting playing really tough on defense, playing well within the team. This NMH team is just built like a real college team in a lot of ways, and I think they can easily win, win – uh, they can easily win like the cha- the prep championship based on just what I saw. I didn't get to watch Fork Union, who I hear is really good this year, or Brewster, who I who was always good, even though I hear they're having a down year. But this NMH team is a team to really keep an eye on. I, th- I think they could be really good, and I'm really excited to see what Avery Brown is up, what Avery Brown does the rest of the season, in terms of he's the only player who isn't committed yet. So I'm wondering what he's going to be doing the rest of the season, and I'm ex- expecting him to turn up big time at the next tournament. Yeah, I mean. Not necessarily talk about Avery Brown, uh, typical guard tendencies. I mean, if he's if he's a true point guard, pass first leader on the floor, you know, it, you can sometimes trend towards just making a few too many passes and trying to keep the team involved and not looking for your own shots. So yeah. Hopefully they'll they'll be able to see the tape from this one and take a look at that and know to make those adjustments. And I mean that Luke Hunger double double. Uh, I'm sure his uncle was calling him from Montreal, telling him about how he got that. That's a, that's a double double with cheese in his house. I'll tell you that much. I, I played with his I played with his cousin, and his his uncle was a coach of mine in high school. So yeah, they over there. That's a big family. They're used to getting 2020 games because his uncle did that when he played for Dartmouth, and they call those double doubles with cheese. I, I what I saw from Hunger was really just awesome. He 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 had the quietest but also loudest 2020 game I've ever seen, in terms of just absolutely gave img fits yeah he he doesn't stop working way too big working way too hard for them to keep up way too strong for img's img was missing alex caravan who was Mm. projected to be their best player and their 
main big. They're also missing. They're supposed to have a guy on roster named uh, committed to Stony Brook. I'm trying to find his name right now. Named uh, Rocco on the IMG roster. On the IMG roster, his name is Rocco Muratori from West Lafayette, Indiana. Committed to Stony Brook, a seven-two center who I didn't see. Ah, I seven-two is pretty hard to miss. So exactly, <laughs> I don't think he was there. Is what I'm implying. Um, <laughs> But yeah, there was but, no one who had the size to keep up with Hunger. Hunger just abused them that game. He mm-hmm. he only I want to say he only had 13 and 10 in the next game, but that's still a double double. 50 percent from the field looked awesome against Mount Zion. I'm excited to see what this Northfield Mount Hermon squad is capable of. Uh, yeah. Another team that I was impressed with, mm-hmm. Wilbraham and Monson. Obviously, they have the Filipowski brothers uh, as their four and five. Uh, Kyle Duke recruits one of the top 10 players in the country, I believe. His brother, Matt, committed to Harvard, seven feet tall, just this massive monster mm-hmm. of a guy. Their role players know their roles, and they also are all long and athletic, and most can hit shots or shoot well enough to bend the defense, which was really impressive. They all ran the system really well. I was really impressed by all of their role guys, even if I didn't list all of them earlier. They all are players that I think, if you're a Division One coach and you're like, I need a guy, I, I just need a guy. I just need a guy. I've got a scholarship. I need a guy that's going to show up, embrace the team concept, follow the follow the everything. Mm-hmm. Tons of players on this Wilbraham and Monson roster that fit that, especially just because I got the names right here. Uh, Devin Austin, twenty twenty. Mm-hmm. Oh, he's committed to Princeton. Yeah, I can see why. <laughs> I can <laughs> see why he's committed to Princeton. He knows how to play. The, he knows how to play basketball. Mm-hmm. Uh, this Wilbraham and Monson team is one of the few teams that I think has the size to really mess with that MH. And also the shooting to mess with them. I'm not sure that they'll be able to hold up with uh, hold up as well on the defensive end, but they've got an NBA guy, NBA, NBA guy. So yeah. you can never bet against that too much. Yeah, especially when you're still playing high school ball and you got someone that you know is going to the league. Usually you can bet on the team with the guy that's going to the league. Mm-hmm. Uh, the last team that I was I want to talk about mm-hmm. is Worcester Academy. I saw them on Sunday playing against Blair Academy. I'm not, I, I am excited for this season, but they're one of the teams that they're playing a lot of guys that aren't seniors or postgrads. They had three guys that were juniors and seniors. Now I mentioned Dan Bissell because of his just ridiculous shooting performance to beat Blair. But uh, he mm-hmm. was, he, he was not the story of the day. The story of the day without a doubt was Kayvon Mulready. The whole gym was talking about him. The whole, everyone that was around me was talking about him. You, you couldn't go a second without talk, without someone saying something about him during that first half where he was just dominant. This kid might have it all, honestly. Verbal commits right now has him as a two-star player. I don't see how that doesn't change unless today was literally the best game of his entire life. Every coach was floored by this kid that I spoke to. He was playing hard and active on defense, locking up and creating steals, two different things. He had one of the nastiest blocks by any guard at this tournament. Just ran up perfectly on a chase down on a fast break. Uh, on a fast break. Someone took like a layup and he met it. He met the layup. He didn't. He didn't throw it off the wall. He met the layup and slammed it right off of them. It was. It was so weird with how he did it. He created all this space between him and the guards. There was no foul. There was no even chance of a foul getting called. It was beautiful. Mm. He was hitting threes off the couch, off the catch, off the bounce. He got to the rim. He got O rebounds. He got D rebounds. Just so disruptive on defense and huge on offense. He he is someone whose stock I think jumped incredibly. He is someone that I'm going to be keeping an eye on, and I'm going to want to see a lot more from this season. Um, and then to Teamwork. add to the rest of that roster, they still have two more mm-hmm. underclassmen that were getting big big minutes. T.J. Powers, a six nine shooter, 
Most of the shots came from outside the paint, and he missed a lot of them. He shot 10 times, only hit two shots, one of which was a layup, one of which was was a mid-range pull-up. You have to imagine he usually hits those. If his mm-hmm. coach was closing the game with him, letting him hold the ball, playing him as much as he did, you have to imagine he can actually hit those shots. So even though I didn't see the shooting, I imagine that the shooting is there, and I'll see it more as I get to watch more of this Worcester Academy team. The other underclassman that was getting big burn was Trey Norman. Mm. He got in foul trouble early, became a big at the end of the game for this team. He just had incredible body control and long limbs to bother players on defense and to finish around guys on offense. Twice he had finishes where he just bumped the guy, body on, ball away, put the put the ball where no one was around, went up and under, was moving guys around with his with it with good uh, body control and and um, pivots and pump fakes. He's clearly a very fundamentally solid player, mm. and he's a little a little undersized right now. He's a little light. But I could see him being really big down the line, especially next season as he, you know, he's, he's young still. He's going to put on weight. They're all undersized right now. But I, he looks like someone who's going who's gonna to put on a, a little bit more weight. He's got a frame that looks like it will fill out. I, I think he can be a difference maker in the future. Uh, I, definitely see some, I definitely want to see a lot more of him and the rest of this Worcester Academy team. I think that they can be huge both this year and next year and the year after next year when these three are now seniors and this year with Bissell, if he keeps this, this performance up, this, this could be a really, really dangerous team. You mentioned, I mean, at the top, we were talking about the Canadians, you know, we always like to bring the energy and bring the, the loud to the gym, but the, just, was there anything, any other teams or, or players you noticed like that really changed the atmosphere of a game or, or were so super impactful, not necessarily in their counting stats and in what they put on the floor, but more of just that the, the whole vibe that they brought to their team or you could see their coaches were reliant on them regardless of their actual impact on the game, but more because they know that these guys are going to give 110% and bring the best that they can every single day. I, I, I don't actually have anything written for this, but I think that's a really good question because I have an answer, and his name is John Corral out of Blair. I hope I pronounced his name right. They had his name. They had the wrong number for him. Uh, John Carroll. Sorry, John Carroll uh, <laughs> from Cedar Grove, New Jersey. He's in a prep year right now. He was playing their, their, the center. He was playing center for Blair in that last game against Worcester, and maybe he stands out a little more to me because he was the last game. But he was really impressive, just making no mistakes on, made almost no mistakes, icing screens, running really well on defense, doing all the right stuff, very loud, moving the ball well. I think he hit a three. Uh, do I have that open right here? I do not have that uh, that box score open right here. But he was just doing everything for the everything that this Blair team asked him to. Granted, granted, Worcester didn't have the size to really expose him, but I think that he is someone who's going to be really good at probably the division a division three level maybe a division two level i don't know that he's tall enough to be playing in that division one level but as a div but he was fan i thought he was fantastic for the role that he was even if he shot one of five from three i mean either way you know you bring the energy you bring the effort five times you assume he's going to hit them a little more frequently than 20 percent in the most part and then I think the last thing I got for you as our as our lead scout who was boots on the ground for this showcase this weekend was were there there any trends or schemes or, or anything about offenses or defenses that you kind of noticed 
as as growing throughout all these teams? Like, were there things that everyone kind of does a lot of that might be are newer or things that you thought teams should maybe stay away from because it seems like it's maybe not the most successful way of running a high school basketball team? Yeah, everyone shot threes and no one can hit them. <laughs> it's the issue with high school ball, I forgot. You know, I haven't played high school ball in so long. I forgot that no one can actually shoot. You're just sitting there watching kids break three after three after three. Like one of five from, from John Carroll. And I was like, he's a good shooter. Because the shots looked good. But he shot one of five. Quite quite frankly, you shoot that in college. It's like, what? Don't let him shoot. Yeah. It's just a different level in, in high school. Also, you know, smaller court, more condensed court, harder to make the passes, harder to get the open shots. But mm -hmm. man, there was so many people just missing threes. And, you know, you still have to shoot them. But it came to the point where I was like, why is anyone shooting a contested three at all? <laughs> people were pulling up from three in transition. I'm like, just get to the rim. I, I think <clears throat> there were some teams that I don't want to call out that were just so guilty of this settling for threes when, quite frankly, like all the guys that were hitting threes were Division One players. <laughs> <laughs> like everyone who, who, most of the guys that were hitting threes, I was like, oh, is that a Division One player? Yeah, he is. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. Like get to the rim, create contact. Get your shots up, especially in the high school level when defenders aren't that good at playing help side, aren't that good at weak side, weak side chase downs. They're not big enough. If you're a bigger guard, like, oh, Otega Owe committed to, to, to Will Oklahoma. That was something mm -hmm. that he did amazing, I thought. I thought he was amazing for this. He was just way bigger than everybody, and he said, all right, I'm just going to drive into the paint and finish over anyone any creative way I can. And I think we saw some really – one thing that I really liked was all the creative finishes a lot of these kids can do now. They uh, definitely have a deeper bag than I have. Um, <laughs> but there was some really interesting finishes going on. A lot of like cross-body reverses, up and unders, all kinds of stuff. And Otega Owe had everything on those finishes. He was blistering by guys, but also finishing all kinds of crafty ways. I, I, he, just that, that, that getting to the rim is something that I, I think more teams need to stress. Get to the rim or shoot the open three. But they, if they're packing the paint, you can make the pass out. And some guys really made some good passes out. All right, well, unless you got anything else to say about the, the prep, I think that was a, a great encapsulation of, of some of the incredible talent that you were able to see, not only some of the individual players and teams. And, again, you want to just shout out the, the organizers and then your, your Twitter where everyone can find some of these scouting reports as they get typed up and posted soon. Yeah, I uh, guess I'm going to be having a very busy Thanksgiving of either learning how to edit these uh, audios myself or uh, typing these up, but you can follow me on, uh, or no, at first, shout outs to uh, New England Recruiting Report and Adam Finkelstein for running a great event at this National Prep Showcase. You can find my reports and writings on Twitter at Jay-Z Sock or you listening to this podcast, uh, Ball Talk with John Sock and Chaz. That will probably all be in a snippet together. This was uh, a great time. And to all our listeners, thank you for tuning in. And until next time, thank you for tuning in to Ball Talk. It's ball talk, it's ball talk, baby, 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 baby.